Well, thank you, Pastor Bubba. I appreciate it. Do you guys mind? Uh, can someone grab that pulpit real quick? That'd be awesome. That thing is like 500 pounds, too. Does anybody know that? It's like crazy heavy. I can lift it, but I don't know if anybody else in here can. Uh, you guys better liven up tonight. I know we've been doing having a lot of fun, but you better wake up, all right? It's, uh, it, it's, it's good times. You know, people ask me all the time. They say, uh, you know, what do you miss about football the most? Like, what is it? that you miss. And, uh, and I think I always shock people when I tell them this and, and I said, I don't miss football at all. And they're like, what are you talking about? Go out on Sundays and you're playing. And I said, I said, I don't, I don't miss that. I really don't miss waking up on Monday mornings feeling like a train hit me. I, I, I honestly, I don't miss the concussions where I can't even remember what my wife's name. Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I, I don't like those things. I said, but what I do miss is that camaraderie. I miss that locker room. You know, and, and everywhere I go, I try to recreate that locker room feel because that's what it's all about. Brothers walking together. Brothers going to war with each other. And yeah, it was physical, but man, with the Saints, that Super Bowl year run, man, we had a great group of believers that walked together. We saw marriages restored. We saw men with chains broken off. I mean, it, it was amazing that year what God did through us beyond the Super Bowl, beyond all the winning. So it, it, was, it was truly, truly amazing. But I always try to recreate that locker room effect. And with our chaplains, with what I do at, at, at team and for OSC and, and Lafayette, um, I try to recreate that locker room feel. You know, a bunch of band of brothers going through some things together. We got a couple guys right now that lost their job as chaplains. We got a couple guys struggling in their marriage right now. We got a couple. So we're everywhere. No one's perfect. We're all, I mean, you guys look at me and I may have a ring, but guess what? I got problems just like you got problems. I deal with things just like you deal with things. I doubt the Lord sometimes just like you doubt the Lord sometimes. I question why God, you question why God. So don't think that this ring protects me from anything other than maybe uh, 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 stalkers. No, it doesn't even protect me from stalkers, actually. You know, it doesn't protect me from anything. If anything, it opens me up to more things. However, this is such a platform to use for God's glory. And who is here this morning? Would you raise your hand if you were here this morning? Awesome. We got a lot of guys. That's awesome. Well, wonderful. Well, God's, God's given me a word, man. And I love, I love speaking to men. I think there's something special about it. Um, when men can, can get together and just be men. And, and, uh, someone once told me you win the win, win the men, you win the war. If you win the men, you win the war. I truly believe that I really do. Then in America, in this day and age, in our church and what we're going after, if we don't win the men, we're not going to win the war. That's, that's just the way it is. You can call a spade a spade. I'm just going to call it out to you guys. The women don't lead the church. The men do. I mean, that's, that's the truth. You lead the church. Maybe your wife does a lot, or maybe your sister comes here and does a lot too, and you're like, man, they serve a lot more than me. Well, it's going to go. This church is going to go how you go. That, that's just the truth of the matter. You look at the dying churches in America. What's the problem? It's the men leading it. It's not the women. You know, I thought it was very interesting. Somebody, uh, I was listening to John Piper the other day. He pointed out an interesting comment in the garden. You know, it said the man, and the woman were together. We, we don't always recognize that, but it said in Genesis, the man, and the woman were together. All right. But who did the serpent go to first? The woman. See, there's something wrong in our society when the women steps up because the enemy knows I'm going to go to the woman and make her the head. And it just, it just kills God's organized organization in his order. And it's not saying we're higher or, or we're better than women. That's not the case. God said, I created you first in my image, and then woman was created out of us. That was the whole point. 
So I'm telling you right now, it's funny that, that, that we always talk about, like, you never hear mommy issues. You don't hear daddy issues, right? I mean, it's true. Think about it for a second. Like, you, you go to a counselor, maybe you've been or you've heard them. You only hear about daddy issues. You never hear about mommy issues. That's because the power that we have as fathers is so crucial and as men is so crucial. I know uh, uh, my wife spends, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to she stay, have a stay-at-home mom and wife, and she's awesome. She's great with the kids. She spends all day with them, all day with them. God bless her. I couldn't do it. I'm not going to lie. One weekend I spent like two days with them. I'm like, I don't know how you do this right now. God has given you strength. No, but, and, and, so, um, and so she spends all day with them. But I know if I come in and I come in and I say, to my little girl, I love you, you're beautiful and special. That will trump anything my wife has said for the whole entire day. That, that's how God's designed us and God has made us to be spiritual leaders of our household. I thought it was interesting in Ephesians, it says, fathers, fathers, raise your kids up in the spirit of the Lord. Fathers is directly pointed at us. It's not a mom thing, it's a, it's a dad thing. And I always take that very serious. If you win the men, you win the war. But my, my goal tonight, guys, and, and uh, I know it's getting late and everything else, but just bear with me, and, and I, I pray that the Lord just kind of speaks to you. My, my goal this evening is to challenge you to be a man of God. And a lot of people are like, what? Be a man of God. What does that mean? A man of God means to be courageously obedient to the will of God. To be courageously obedient to the will of God. And a lot of times people maybe don't understand that. They, they think it's uh, um, the will of God is very passive. But no, no, no. It takes courage to be a man in this day and age. It takes courage to be a man in this day and age. It takes courage to step up when there's gay marriages going on. It takes a real man to step up and to, to, to fight back for what's going on. Pushing back of what society says that we are lower. That we are worth nothing. It takes courage to do that. Don't think it, it doesn't. It absolutely does. And I love the whole encourage means to pour in courage because that's what God has really put on me today. Webster defines courage as mental or spiritual uh, strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. It originates from the Latin word. It means to have heart. I love that. I think of, uh, uh, of just the heart that, that I have. And see, what, what makes me so different a lot of times in the NFL especially, what really got me noticed in the NFL wasn't how great that I played. It was how hard that I worked. And a lot of people would come up and say, man, you have great passion. You have great heart. And I would always take that you have great courage. And uh, one of the kids over here was asking me, he's like, all right, how do you not be afraid to hit somebody? Like, can you just tell me that? And I'm like, you can't teach it. You just got to have courage and stick your head in there. In college, they would call me torpedo because that's what I would do is just shoot my head in there. And, you know, that's why I'm not very smart now, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay because I got a Super Bowl ring, so it's okay. <laughs> no, but to have courage. And honestly, that was me growing up. I was always the guy to work harder than people. I would outwork you. You couldn't outwork me. I remember um, in the NFL, we were at Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi, and this was in the middle of August, so it's pretty cold there at that time of the year um, in Jackson, Mississippi. And so the turf was literally, they, they measured it 124 degrees, and we were scrimmaging in full pads. And I'll, I'll never forget this. And, I mean, everybody, I mean, my pants looked like I just, you know, jumped in a pool. I mean, that's how sweaty I was. And we just ran a full scrimmage, you know, full tackle, everything else. And they're like, on the line. And we're like, ugh. You know, and I'm thinking, uh, to myself too, but my body and my heart saying, you better win every single race. You know, you better get this. And so we would run down and back. And sure enough, every single time, boom, I would win one, two, 
three, four. And I had Reggie Bush next to me. I had Devery Henderson, probably the fastest guy on our team, Robert Meacham. And they couldn't beat me. It's not because they weren't fast enough. It's because they didn't have enough heart. They couldn't push through when times are tough. They didn't have the courage to say, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to lay flat on my face. If I die, I die. I'm okay with that. But at least I tried my hardest. And they couldn't outwork me. They couldn't outwork me. I'm not, I wasn't the biggest guy in the NFL. I wasn't the fastest guy by any means. You know, I, I, that just wasn't, wasn't me. I didn't make it off of that. But I remember later, Mickey Loomis, the GM, would tell stories about me. He wouldn't use my name, but he would say, this guy wasn't the fastest, but he would beat everybody. It impressed him so much that after so many plays in 124-degree heat, I would still be winning and I wasn't the fastest. That's all heart, guys. That's all heart. And that's not something I've done. That's something the Lord has put in me as a passion and courage. And it's so interesting, too, because the early editions of Webster actually defined courage as see Joshua. I thought that was interesting when I read that. I was like, see Joshua. Talking about the book in the Bible. And that's kind of where we're going to be going today. Because I'm just going to give you guys, I'm going to lay out some stuff. Because I think this is so interesting. And I hope it really does encourage you. And it helps you with your courage to be courageously obedient. And to look at the context of what it is at this time, Moses kind of led the nation of Israel out of bondage, of course, from the Egyptians. But because of their disobedience, the Israelites, and their lack of faith, they wandered the desert for 40 years. And so they had what a trip should have taken two weeks. It took 40 years. Talk about disobedience. Jeez. It took 40 years. And it, honestly, it was a mindset of this paralysis through analysis. They, didn't, they had this go-back mindset that, man, when times got tough, they said, oh, well, let's go back to Egypt because I don't, I don't want to be out here with no water. I don't want to be out here with no food. I would rather be back in bondage and slavery, at least we were taken care of, than out here with God not knowing what's going to happen. They didn't want to do it. They didn't have the courage to step up and say, God, take me where you want. Do with me what you will. But one guy did. His name was Moses. And he led over I think it was 2 million people, the nation of Israel, all throughout the, the, uh, the wilderness. And honestly, because of their lack of faith, God had to purge that generation. Over 1 million adults did, died before leading them to the promised land. And so Moses wasn't allowed to enter promised land. So now steps up Joshua, his servant. Joshua steps up, <laughs> handpicked by God to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. Talk about big shoes to fill right? Moses comes along. He parts the Red Sea. He leads, you know, out of slavery and bondage. And then comes in Joshua, his servant. Now, we've all followed in the footsteps, whether you, maybe it's a singing competition or maybe it's at work where a guy has done really good and you got to fill those shoes and you feel that pressure. Imagine the pressure Joshua felt. Imagine leading that many people. Now I got to step behind Moses. I don't know if I can do this, God. Ooh. He had to have some courage. He also had to have something else too, huh? But he had to have courage. And that's where we pick up. Let's read Joshua 1 all the way to verse 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them. 
to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon to as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded. You do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make my your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God charges this man, Joshua, to be brave and courageous. Now, if that's not like a manly text, I don't even know where you're going to find another manly text in the Bible like that. I really, I really don't. That's the manliest text I think you can find in the Bible, honestly. And when, we, when I hear that, I don't know about you guys, I start to be like, yeah. I picture Joshua, and he's, this is God talking to him. And God was talking to me like that. I'd be like, what? Let's go run down a brick wall. Let's, I mean, what do you want me to do, God? You, you know, you want me to float in the air? Like, what, you know, I'd be like, what do you want me to do? I want to be brave and courageous. He said, you are brave and, brave and courageous. I want to be bold and courageous. You, you're brave and courageous. You're very brave and courageous, he told Joshua. And we get two things out of the text. Of course, we get courage. Yes, that's great. But if you missed it in there, we also get obedience. Because courage and obedience are synonymous with one another. You can't separate them. Now Joshua, get this, was given this monumentous task of filling the role of, of, of Moses and leading a nation into land. I mean, that was already occupied. And they weren't, it wasn't occupied by just some no-name army. It was like the baddest people walking into lands of giants, walking into so many amazing things. But God said, I'm going to give it all to you. What a task Joshua had. I remember I, I was very blessed. I was in college. I, I got to lead my dad to the Lord. He was 47 years old. I told a lot of you guys that this morning. My dad battled with a lot of addictions. And I knew if my dad knew what I knew, if he knew Christ, he could really see him and experience him. Not just know him, experience Christ, that he would be freed. And so at the age of 47, I led my dad to the Christ. But more than that, I, I discipled my father. You see, Salvation is just step one. Discipleship is forever. It doesn't stop. And so I'm leading my dad and I'm, I'm just thinking about like, I can't do this, Father. God, I can't do this. Well, I, I can't lead. I'm the son. The son is not supposed to lead the father. And the whole time God just said, have courage. He would point me back to this test. Have courage. Have courage. Be brave and courageous. Have courage, Chris. Trust me that I'm with you. And he was. And it was wonderful because I was able to lead my dad to Christ and disciple him and to see my dad change. I saw the addictions fall off. I saw his life change from self-centeredness to now others. And when you see that change, man, it gets you fired up again all over. 
And you have boldness again and you have courage again that our God lives. Because sometimes we sit in this bubble in this vacuum and say, oh, we're all okay. We're all right. But then when you see God work and it's manifested in the right way, you're saying, praise God. And you know, God, I can trust you always. I can trust you always. And so three times Joshua gets charged by the Lord, but not from a physical standpoint. Don't think it is just like go in and take this land. Yeah, you hear that a lot. It was from an obedient standpoint that Joshua, you're going to have many temptations come before you. You're going to have many things that you think will be better than me. That you'll want to stop and say, this is comfortable. I don't want to go into that land. We have food over here. That may be better over there, but this is good right here too. He's saying, I didn't call you to sit where you were. I called you to go. And to have courage when you do it. To have courage. He charged him. It's not a physical thing, men. It's a spiritual thing. It's a mental thing to have courage. But you know what? It takes courage to be obedient. To stand strong as a spiritual leader of your family, your community, your church. To do the right thing when everybody else isn't, honestly. To be a real man of God. To be courageously obedient to the will of God. It's not easy. It's not easy. But you see, courage without obedience to God and his will, it's self-serving. You can have courage or what you think is courage in this World, you could think it's courageous to do certain things what the world says to do, but it's not. You can think it's courageous for me maybe to put on a helmet and go slam my head into somebody, but technically it's not. It's really not courageous. But courage to the will of God, being courageously obedient to the will of God, now that's life-giving. Because if I wasn't obedient and said, God, I'm going to step out in faith and invite my dad to this event. If I wasn't obedient courageously and saying, God, I'm going to leave my dad, even though I feel like I don't know anything about the Bible, he said, go and do it anyway. That takes courage. And through that, God showed, I'm going to do it through you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Just have courage and I'm with you. Have courage. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, like, Chris, you know, I get this all the time. Like, that sounds real good. And sometimes I'll say this to pastors, too. I'm like, that sounds really good, but that's just not me. And I don't know God's will for my life. I don't even know what that looks like. You're talking about God's will, and I don't know what that is. Maybe you're thinking that question. But the cool thing is, if, if, you, maybe, if you read your Bible, it has the answer. Paul says it in Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we can see right there that you can discern the will of God by renewing your mind and not conforming to the world. Now, conforming is an outside in. Think of it as clay. It's how you form it. But being transformed is an inside out. Movement. It's a metamorphosis of some sort. So you do it by the renewal of your mind that you'll be able to test to see what the will of God is. If you're like, well, God, what's the will for my life? Well, you're not asking the right question. The question is, how do I find God's will? And that's by renewing your mind daily. We got to change the pattern, men. We got to change the pattern. You want to renew your mind, you got to change the pattern. Everybody knows the definition of insanity here, right? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results every time. doesn't work. 
we got to change the pattern, man. We want to see this country come back to where it, it is, not from an economic standpoint, financial standpoint, or whatever, but from a moral and biblical standpoint, we got to change the pattern. And it starts with our mind. You want to be courageous? You want to know God's will? It starts with our mind. Believe it. You want to be courageously bold? It's not a physical aspect. That's not what it is. It's in your mind and in your heart. I truly believe that. That's what God's word said. It's funny because uh, I, I, know, I know PJ and, and Pastor Bubba, they probably call all you men, men of God, huh? Hey, man of God, what's going on? Hey, man, Pastor Jacob always did that to me. I've been at OSC for almost a year now, and he would always go, man of God, how's it going, man of God, you know? Man of God, if you know, it's just, that's the way they say it around here. It's like, man of God, you know? And I always thought it was weird at first. I'm like, I asked my buddy, I'm like, what is with this man of God stuff? Like, it sounds so cheesy, you know? And you know what he said to me? He said, you know why Pastor Jacob does that? Because he's either calling you that because he wants you to be that or because you are that. And what he's trying to do is change the pattern. He's trying to change your mind that you'll think, yeah, I am a man of God. And you'll start walking in it or you'll start believing it. And you'll start living it. You got to change the pattern, man. And it starts with our mind. It, it was ingenious when I heard it. I said, okay, now it's not cheesy. I'm going to call everybody man of God. That's what I'm going to do, you know. But it's crazy. I love it. We got to retrain our mind to discern the will of God. But it could be as simple as, guys, I talked to my, my chaplains the other or I think it was about a month ago. And we just started talking about prayer and praying with our wives and how uncomfortable that can be. Man, man can you, I mean, it, is that just true? Have you ever prayed with your wife out loud and you're like, this is so awkward right now? <laughs> you ever get that? I mean, uh, fortunately, I met my wife in college and, and she was in ministry and we kind of broke that ice early on in, in our relationship. But I had no idea how many people don't pray out loud together. And I was like, as a married couple, I'm thinking, I'm like, and you're right, it is a little awkward. I didn't even think about it like that. But they were like, it's so weird. Like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, talk to God, uh, you know, and, and, but they think it's so weird. And the, and the stats show, and maybe, maybe PJ, when he did his marriage series, kind of told you guys, but it's, it's amazing. Obviously, no, over 50% are getting divorced right now. But a couple that prays out loud together, it's staggering. One, and I think it's 1,200 to get divorced. One in 1,200. I mean, come on, the power of prayer. But it starts with us men saying, at night, right before you go to bed, ah, oh, sweetie, can we pray tonight? And she's like, what? <laughs> Tell me that's not courageously bold for you to do that. And I know you're thinking in your mind, if you don't already, you're thinking, I'm never going to do that, ever. <laughs> she would slap me in the face and say, what have you done with my husband? That's what she would say. You know, but, but how true is that? That's being courageously bold and obedient to God's will because he wants you guys to be one flesh. And to be one flesh, we have to pray in one spirit. And we don't ever realize that. But men, imagine what that can do to your marriage, what God can do when you open up the floodgates for him to come in and you say, God, I'm going to be vulnerable and in such an amazing way. You know what I found out a lot of times? The stuff that I can't tell my wife that I can tell God, when we pray together, I'm just talking to God. She finds out a lot of things about me that are bothering me. <laughs> Amen. I'm like, God, I didn't really like this uh, chicken cacciatore tonight, Lord. I thought it was okay at best, maybe a little oversalted, but that's okay, you know. But no, seriously, but a lot of times, like, more importantly, though, seriously, guys, I mean, 
I, I know we are emotionally challenged, a lot of us, especially when it comes to our wives. And so for us to be able to pray with them, and a lot of times I don't even know things are bothering her. And when she prays about it, she's talking to her father. And I get to listen in on, on a secret conversation. And when she's saying, God, why am I not getting pregnant right now? You start to be like, man, I didn't even know that was a concern. or I didn't know that was a worry. She never brought it up to me. Or God, what's wrong with our kids? Why, why is she acting this way? Why is he doing this? I didn't know it was a concern for her. I had no idea. She's just going about her day like everything's right. So we're into this secret conversation. But if we don't initiate it with courage, with boldness to God's will and God's word, it's never going to happen, men. Or more importantly, it's never going to sustain. Your wife can come to you and say, honey, let's pray. But it never sustains. We got to be the ones to initiate it. We got to change that pattern. And you're probably thinking, you know what? I, I, I just, I can't do that. And I'm going to tell you how you are. I'm going to tell you how you are going to be able to read the Bible with your family. How you're going to spend time with your wife and kids and come home early, men. Priorities. That's bold. That's being courageous in a lot of eyes. But the best part about this, get this, is how we are even able to be courageously obedient. And that's in verse 9 of Joshua. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We've got to trust that God's with us, guys. I ask, I ask the question to some people sometimes, and I think it shocks them. Like, how would you truly act? What would you truly do if you truly believed that God was with you wherever you went? Wherever you went, God is with me. How, how much of a swagger would you walk with? You know what I mean? You, you'd just be, God is with me right now. Don't even worry about it, you know? You can walk into any room. And I love Pastor Jacob and just his boldness. He'll walk into a room full of, of NFL players, and he'll just start, hey, how's it going, man? Do you know Jesus? You know, that, like, that's not me, and that's okay. But that's the way he is. I love his boldness, his courage to be able to do that. He walks as God is with him wherever he goes. And Joshua, God is telling Joshua, I'm with you. You can believe it. You can trust in me. I brought you this far. Have courage. How? How, God? How am I supposed to have courage? Because I'm with you. No one's going to stand against you. They can break the body. They can break the mind. They can break the will. But they'll never break your soul because God has it. I'm with you. I'm with you we got to trust that God is with us. we got to renew our minds to be courageous. we got to trust in God's promises of what that is. And guys, I remember um, it was really difficult for, for my wife and I to get pregnant early on. Two years went by, and we didn't have any idea what was happening. We went and got checked out, and it was just one of those things that they said, uh, unexplained infertility. And I'm thinking to myself, really, God? I'm a good Christian man, and you're going to do this. Like, I just want to raise up an army for you. And I remember one time we've gone through some hormone stuff, and it was just, it was a difficult uphill battle. And we have some friends over that night, and they were talking about, said, how are things going with you guys? And my wife looked over at a friend. She said, I don't think we'll ever get pregnant. And men, I've never felt more helpless in my entire life. Because right then and there, it wasn't that I couldn't give her a baby. That wasn't the issue. Is that she had lost hope in our amazing God. And I kind of barked at her a little bit, but I think God called me to do this. And maybe not the right way so much, but I said, don't you ever think like that again. 
I said, don't you ever think like that again. That night, we just, we wept together. We got on our knees before God and just said, this is yours, not ours. And you know, you know what I felt like God said? That's the courage I was looking for. That's the courage when your wife is losing hope and that your son is too far gone or that you can't have a baby or that you're never going to get married. And God says, you need to be the courage. You need to be the courage right in that moment. That God gave me that courage to say that, to surrender to him. And then that next month we ended up getting pregnant. See, it just all works out like that. And we're on our third child now. So God blesses in an amazing way. But it takes courage to step up. That we have to trust in what God has in store for us. And it's never, never easy. But I love it because being courageously obedient to the will of God, it builds and heals relationships for generations to come. Did you hear what I said, man? I said generations to come. I didn't say in this day and age. I didn't say today. I said generations to come. That to me is powerful. That to me I can't stop thinking about. That in my family there's been addiction after addiction after addiction after adultery, infidelity, you name it. And for some reason at 17 years of age I said yes to Jesus. And God said I'm going to break a chain with you right there. I'm going to break a chain with you and it's going to carry over for generations to come. It's a promise. It's a promise. It's, it's not like, well, maybe if my kids are good, if I can get them away from the bad people. No, no, no. It's a promise that God has. I'm with you. I'm faithful to those who are righteous. That's what it's all about. And I know you're probably thinking, Chris, that's not me. I can't do that. I can't do what you do. I can't speak. I can't. I can barely read. Well, don't worry. I can barely read too. But you're just saying, I don't know if that's for me. I, I'm not a speaker. I don't have an NFL ring. I can't be bold and courageous in the Lord. I don't know if I can do these things. I want to encourage you with this. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. Created in Jesus to do good works which God has prepared before us that we should walk in them. It's already done, man. Joshua didn't have to do anything. He just walked in it. He walked in it. Let's not make this more complicated than it has to be. Let's just do it. You know, uh, uh, we're always told with, uh, on defense, you know, you think you stink. It's true. He who hesitates is lost. If you think you stink, walk in it, men. Walk in it. Just get it. Walk in it. That's what Joshua did. It's already there. It says, God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Now, we have to do our job to move. He's already prepared it. It's already done. The best line that I've heard is, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The battle's already won, man. We already know where we're going. The kingdom of God is here. Guess what? You're living it. Walk in it, men, with confidence, with courage, being obedient to God's will. That takes a real man of God. That's what it comes down to. Trust that he will use you, men, that you'll walk in his ways. Because Joshua did, and look what happened. That's what Joshua did. He crossed over the Jordan River. He goes to the city called Jericho. The city where the walls were 30 
feet high and seven feet thick. And he probably came up to that city of Jericho. He said, I don't know how we're going to do this, God. But you told me, be, be brave and courageous to be steadfast with you. I'm going to trust that God. And so for six days, he marched around that city. The seventh day, he marched around it seven times, and the walls crumbled. And it was because of his courage and obedience to God that he conquered the unconquerable. I mean, there's some Jerichos in your life right now that you're walking up to these cities, and you're saying, Chris, I don't think I can do this. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can, Chris. You're right. You can't. But he can. He said, be brave and courageous. Be courageously obedient to his will and trust that God has already won the battle. And you will see those walls fall down and crumble. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen that. That's what it's got for, guys. So as I close, guys, I want to just challenge you. To be men of God by being courageously obedient to God's will, it comes by one, changing the pattern. We've got to renew our minds, men. It's what you watch. It's even what you eat. It's how you speak. It's everything about us, men. We've got to lead. We've got to change the pattern. Two, you've got to trust in God's promise. We've got to trust that God's with us wherever we go. Men, there's power in that. I've seen people lift so much weight you can't even imagine, but there's more power in God's toenail than there is in the entire earth, men. I'm telling you, there's power in that. Walk in that. And then we just walk in his ways. Now we got to step out and be a man of God. I'm going to share one last thing that um, I have, uh, like I said, we just had our third, third child. Uh, probably about uh, five weeks ago. And he was six weeks early. And so as he came out, I know I, w- I was a little worried about what was going to happen. And, and I didn't, we didn't, we've never been down that road, my wife and I. And he came out and there was a, t- there was a little touchy time in there where he wasn't breathing. And uh, man, that's tough seeing your, your son struggle for life. I don't think any father should ever go through that, but he's struggling for life. And they take him back to the NICU, and for 24 days, he was in uh, the neonatal intensive care unit, and that's probably been one of the hardest 24 days of my life, and, and the whole time, God is saying, have courage, Chris. I'm with you. Do you believe that I'm with you? Renew your mind daily, and man, did I get in God's word and get close to him during that time. It wasn't about my son. That's what I figured out. It wasn't about my son. God said, I'm doing a work in you. And he told me, and for some reason, this word joy just kept coming up. And I'm pointing to the scripture where Paul says, be, um, rejoice, be sorrowful, or what is it? Somebody quote me. Um, Rejoice. uh, I think it's uh, always, always rejoice, rejoice, always, even in sorrow. Right? So I'm I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I am sorrowful. I'm so sorrowful. I don't know what's going to happen. But for some reason, my heart was just leaping. And it was saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for taking me through this. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in my life. Thank you that you're changing my heart. Because I can look back and trust that God is with me. 
And God showed me, man, Chris, that took more courage than you think. And on Instagram, I was just sharing my story every day, day one. And it wasn't for anybody else to see. It was so that I could document it for me and for my son. When he gets older, I want to show him what we walk through, what God taught me. And little did I know that it wasn't just affecting me. It was affecting others. And at our church, I had so many people walk up to me and said, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story and sharing your walk and what God is teaching you. And showing the high times, but also showing the low times. And they said, the one word that I'm speaking tonight, they said, that takes courage. Man, this walk isn't easy. But the great thing is we have each other to do it with. And we can be courageously obedient to God's will together. And it's going to change a community. It's going to change a city. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit work in a mighty way. We have to walk in it. So I challenge you men to be a man of God. We have to be courageously obedient to the will of God. Search that in your life. Renew your mind daily. Trust in God's promises. And walk in his ways. Walk with joy all the days of your life, men. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for the group of men that just are committed to being better, Father. We love you so much. We thank you for allowing us to be men of God, to be courageously obedient in the face of so much adversity against us to what culture says is no, no, no. You say, yes, that is right and good. Thank you, Lord, that we can stand firm in who you are, Father. I pray that we renew our minds like Paul said in Romans 12 too, Father God. I pray that we can trust that you are with us always, wherever we go. And Lord, more importantly, I pray that we can walk in your ways all the days of our lives. Help us be men of God that step up and step out when the battle gets tough, Father. Knowing that we've already won. Knowing that you've secured our victory in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these men and what they're doing in this church all across Acadiana. And we'll give you praise and glory for being a great God. It's your mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all.